Well, we're going to get back into Romans, and uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, you should have your notes there in front of you somewhere. And um, we're basically going to pick up where we left off, and I just want to read one verse from Romans chapter 10, um, and that is verse 17. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to do a little review, a little background, and we'll eventually get to the verse. So just be patient with me as I get back into the groove of things here. But Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul writes, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, as we've gone through this 10th chapter of Romans, basically Paul is dealing with a lot of information. But if you had to kind of understand the chapter in a whole, he's, he's mainly focused on Israel and their unbelief. Why won't Israel believe in the Messiah? Why don't they believe in the Messiah? I mean, they had every reason to. You know, it was, it was basically the nation of Israel that God chose, the Bible tells us. He chose them as his people. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord our God is one Lord. One of the reasons that God chose Israel and made kind of an example of them was really to witness to the unity of there being one God. Because back in that time, you have to understand, there was pagan gods everywhere. There was many deities. There was a lot of different people and things and, and just gods that, that small g that people worshipped. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to focus on one nation and I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of refocus people's attention on the fact that there's only one God. And I'm going to use Israel to prove that, to show that. Secondly, Israel was chosen to preserve and transmit the scriptures. The scriptures that we have today were entrusted to Israel. God gave them all the prophets. And as the prophets prophesied, they they took that word of God and they held it close to them. (laughs) And they said, hey, we're Israel and we have God's word. And they missed the point. Because that's not what God ever wants us to do with his word. He never wants us to hoard his word. He never wants us to take our Bibles and take them home and, and you know, put them back on the shelf and just bring them out on Sundays. God's desire is that we understand his word, that we read his word, that we study his word, that we share his word with others. Well, Israel, because they felt that they were a privileged nation, which they were, they were chosen by God, they, they took it all wrong. And they said, well, no, this is our word. And they held on to it. With white knuckles. And even in Romans chapter 3, if you look back with me just real quick, you see this played out in verse 2. Romans chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were what? Entrusted with the oracles of God. God gave them his word. Thirdly, Israel was really the channel through which the Messiah was going to come. Jesus was a Jew. He was going to come through that nation. It was through that nation that God would bring the Savior to the world. So you see Israel was very privileged. And we don't understand that today. 
because we live in a, you know, it's kind of a pseudo-Christian Judeo society. It's fading quickly. But at least we have the privilege to come and meet together here, right? We have the freedom to come here and gather and worship in Jesus' name without the fear of soldiers coming in and beheading us or fining us or doing whatever. And see, we, we don't totally get it when we, when we look at Israel and we say, wow, here's God. He wants to bring this, the, the Messiah through that nation. What a privilege that is. They didn't get it either. I mean, they basically put him on the cross is how much they rejected their Messiah. And you've got to ask the question, why are they so ignorant? And John MacArthur does a wonderful job of this. And he takes chapter 10 and he outlines it. And he, his outline basically, and I'm going to give it to you up there on the screen, but his outline basically is, first of all, in verse 3, it says that they were ignorant of the person of God. Israel was ignorant of the, who God was. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. And that applies to us today. There's a lot of people who are ignorant who God is. They think God is some, you know, white-haired guy up there in heaven. It's just, you know, kind of a grandpa, real nice. And they don't know anything about him. As a matter of fact, when you share the true message of who God is from the scriptures, that God is holy, that God is just, that God judges, what do people say? Oh, my God would never do that. That's not my God. Well, yeah, you're right. That's not your God. <laughs> because you got a God with a little G. See, they were ignorant of the person of God. They didn't know the holiness of God. They didn't understand it. They were ignorant of him. And I think one of the things that really plagues the church today, Christians, born-again Christians, is the ignorance of who their God is. So many times I hear Christians talking about things and praying about things. I hear Christians say, just give me more love. Are you kidding me? That's not a prayer God's going to answer. As a Christian, the, the, the love of Christ is shed abroad in your heart. Do you think you're going to get any more love than that? I don't think so. Or just help me to forgive that person. Why wouldn't you forgive that person? The Bible says that you should forgive as you've been forgiven. So there's a lot of parallels here between the nation of Israel and us as believers. A lot of people are ignorant of the person of Christ, of who he is. They're ignorant of God, his attributes. One thing that you can do to strengthen your Christian faith is to understand who God is. Do a little study on the attributes of God. We're going to be going through the attributes of God this fall in a, uh, a study that's uh, called The Fundamentals of the Faith. And part of the, that book is covering the attributes of God. Because it's essential to understanding your salvation. And today people want to take God out of heaven and kind of bring him down so he's just like you and I. And then they lift themselves up. That's not who God is. Secondly, they were ignorant not only of who God was, the person of God, but they were ignorant of the provision of Christ. Verse 4 tells us that. Verse 3 says, being ignorant of the righteousness of God. And then in verse 4 it says, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. They had a hard time with that, that verse. Jews did. 
you know, the whole, their whole religion was based on the law of righteousness. You know, it's the law. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to keep the Sabbath. And, and by doing those things, they thought that somehow they, they gained access to God. That somehow that give them, gave them privilege before a holy God. And so Paul writes in verse 4, no, that's not true. Christ ended a law of righteousness for anyone who believed. See, they didn't realize that Christ made provision for them through which salvation came by grace, not works. They misunderstood that. There's a lot of people today in the church. I came out of the Catholic faith. Catholic faith basically teaches you're saved by your, your works. You're saved by what you do. People misunderstand that. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what was done for you through Christ. The Bible says that it's not, it's, it's by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest we should boast. Well, the third thing that they were ignorant of was the place of faith. And that's why I like, you know, I, I'm not good with outlines, but I like MacArthur's outline here. The person of God, the provision of Christ, the place of faith. Uh, verses 5 to 10, he points out basically in verse 9, it all culminates there in, in chapter 10, verse 9. He says that if you, uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. They didn't understand that. They missed that whole boat altogether. See, saving faith is more than just believing that Jesus exists. Saving faith is more than just believing, oh yeah, I believe he died on a cross. I mean, for 19 years of my life, I believe Jesus died on a cross. I believe he rose from the dead on the third day. But I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't transformed by God's power. I just had all kind of the intellectual stuff there. You know, all the facts lined up in my head. If somebody asked me what I was, I'd say a Catholic. And we believe this. And I'd recite what we believe. But there was no connection to my heart. Don't make the mistake, like the Jews did, of of misplacing their faith. Don't ever place your faith in what you know. You place your faith solely in the work and power of, of Christ. Committing your life to a sovereign rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. See, that's what salvation is. That's what belief is. It's more than just believing intellectually. It's saying, you know what? I believe so much, I'm willing to put my whole life in your hands, God. That's what salvation is. You can't just put your big toe in the water. Say, let me try this out. If you do that, you're not saved. It's that simple. Because there's, there's, there's only two camps here. There's those who are in Christ and those who are not. And when you're in Christ, you're in Christ because he put you in Christ. And he did that by transforming you. By, the Bible says that before we're transformed, we're what? Dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. If you've ever seen a dead body, you realize that dead body does absolutely nothing. It just lays there. There's no breathing. There's no blood. There's nothing. It's just a dead body. It's incapable of doing anything. That's our state before Christ. And when God saves us, when, when God through the Holy Spirit and the power of his word helps us understand that, you know what, we don't have any hope outside of Christ. That we need to be saved. That we need to be, be, be rescued from this sinful place that we're in. Don't make the mistake of saying, well, I'm not that bad. It doesn't matter how bad you are. 
You, you, could, you could have told one white lie somewhere way back when you were little. That's a sin. That separates you from God. The Bible says that all have sinned. And so we need to understand that. Don't make the mistake of, of comparing your sin to somebody else. You know, well, I'm not an axe murderer. Are you telling me I'm going to hell? Yes. Because you're a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. And we need a Savior. And the only way that we'll have that Savior is when we come before God, as some of our music spoke about this morning, broken and repenting of our sin, committing our life to Christ. And then fourthly, he points out in verses 11 through 18 that they were ignorant of the proportions of salvation. And this kind of leads into our message a little bit today. But he says that Israel basically was ignorant how far salvation went. They didn't understand that. Um, A lot of Jews, and even Jews today, um, when you talk to them about Christ, what do they say? I'm a Jew. Don't talk to me about Jesus. They reject that notion altogether. Why do they do that? Have you ever thought about that? They do it because they cannot conceive of anyone else being saved besides them. Because they're God's chosen people. See? And so God entrusted all these things to them. They didn't do the right things with them. And so God said, all right, you know what? I'm going to move on. (laughs) Not entirely, but for the time being, for this time in history, I'm moving on. I'm going to let you kind of steep there in your unbelief. That's why you don't hear a lot about Jews being saved, being converted. I mean, don't get me wrong. They are. They're being converted. There's always a remnant who are saved. But across the board, most Jews reject the notion that Jesus is the way of salvation. And the reason, one of the reasons that they do that. It's, it's difficult for Jews to accept Christianity because so many people who are Christians are not Jewish. They're what? They're Gentiles. And if you know anything about Judaism, Gentiles and Jews, it's like oil and water. It doesn't mix. So God entrusted all these things, chose him as a nation, gave him the word, all these things. They didn't do the right thing with him. And so God said, okay, you know what? I'm going to extend this salvation to the whole world. To show you that, you know what, you missed it. And so God starts saving Gentiles. Well, the Jews are scratching their heads going, wait a minute, this can't be. You know, that's not right. We're God's chosen people. And so there was an ignorance about how extensive salvation was, how far reaching it was. They could not understand the simple fact that God would give to them truth through a Gentile. That just blew their mind. They thought that was impossible. And so Paul explains these reasons for their unbelief and for their ignorance. And he he shows us that they didn't understand at all. Look at verse 11 in, in, in chapter 10. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, the Jew read that and said, wait a minute, everyone? Does that mean a Gentile? See, that's why Paul's including words like that. Or whosoever believes will be saved, will not be ashamed. Because in a Jew's mind, that's all a Gentile knew was shame. (laughs) I mean, they were compared to dogs. 
Uh, they, they didn't have a high regard for anybody who was not Jewish. And so all of a sudden, God starts saving other people outside of their nation group, and it just blew their mind. And it made them even harder in their unbelief. Now, there will come a day when God softens their heart, and they'll stand before Christ, and they'll realize, well, this is the Savior whom we crucified. That'll be a glorious day. But as we kind of get into the message here, the last time, two weeks, three weeks ago, we looked at this chain of the gospel. The idea that Paul was saying, you know what, if people are going to hear, if, if faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, you have to send a messenger. And that messenger has to preach the gospel. And then people hear the word of Christ through that messenger. The listener believes the message. And then the listener is called by Christ to salvation. Well, what is the gospel? Let's start there. We'll review that. We said this. The gospel is the perfect atoning, the perfect life, the atoning death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That's what the gospel is. And we see the gospel played out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul points out to us that the gospel has to contain the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. The gospel is not Jesus wants you happy. The gospel is not your best life now. That is not the gospel. The gospel has to in, include the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that he is the Savior. Unto anyone who believes. We talked about how, you know what, when we share our faith in verse 16, it tells us not everybody's going to believe. We talked about the different kind of soils. Jesus used that in Matthew chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. You know, he spoke in parables. A lot of people, you know, I hear <clears throat> popular speakers today, and they say, well, I tell stories because, you know, that's how, how Jesus communicated, and it's a really good way of communicating. And I always scratch my head at that, thinking, man, you know what? If Jesus wanted to communicate to people, a lot of times he would use parable so he didn't communicate. It was, there was a hidden message in there. It wasn't clearly just, oh, he's telling a parable, this is going to be fun. No, they walked away going, what in the world does that mean? And check it out in the Gospels. Wherever Jesus taught a parable, his disciples always kind of said, okay, what are you talking about, Jesus? And he said, well, come here, I'll tell you. Because he didn't want everybody else to understand. See, there was, a, there was a purpose in him teaching in parables. And the, and the disciples didn't really understand this parable in Matthew at first. But he basically talked about a sower who goes out and sows seed. Some of the seed's going to fall on, on hard ground. Those who are hardened by sin. Some it's going to fall on shallow ground. Just a shallow person that doesn't believe the, 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 the gospel. There's those who are going to be choked out. Seeds that, that weeds just grow up around and, and, and cause issues. And then the fourth kind of soil Jesus talked about was good soil. And the point of sharing that was Jesus said, you know what? Not everybody is going to believe your message. When you go out and you share the gospel outside of these four walls, you're not going to have a trail of people running behind you going, tell me more. I want to know more about how to be saved. That's, that's not going to happen. Not all are going to believe your message. But see, the point is this. Some will. Some will. And if it's just one who believes, that's a soul that's transformed, that's taken out of 
the darkness and brought into the light. Not all will believe, but some will. And when we get into chapter 11, that's what he's going to talk about even more. Those who don't believe. So Isaiah asked the question, who's believed our message? (laughs) The reason that we gather on a Sunday morning and someone stands up here behind this pulpit, it opens up a Bible and preaches the word of God. It's because preaching has always been blessed by God to save some. That's his modus operandi. That's what God uses. He uses the preaching, the teaching of his word. That's why the the teaching is so, the preaching is so central to what we do here as a Bible church. We want you to hear the teaching of the word of God. We don't want you to come in here and just have a big concert and, and then just walk away empty, thinking, well, that was cool music. Or come in here and, and, and just hear a message on how to balance your checkbook or improve your marriage. Or, I mean, all those things are good things. Don't get me wrong. Those are practical things. But we want you to come in here and be able to open up your copy, your personal copy of God's Word, and say, wow, this is God's Word that He gave to us. How incredible is that? We're blessed by having the opportunity to come together and study the Word of God. Not because the messenger, there's something special in that person, whether it's myself or anybody else who stands up here, but because we believe that the power of God is in the gospel. The power of God is in the Word of God. The power of God comes by the Spirit of God through the Word of God to transform and change lives. You know, when you share your faith, do you understand that you are not responsible for the results? See, the church has made a big mistake by making people feel responsible when they share their faith. You know, I've been part of the whole evangelism explosion thing, and, you know, you have all these questions and all these tactics and different things, and you go out and you try to convince people to become a Christian. And then you all come back together in a room and you, you, you compare notes. Well, how many did you say? Well, I saved you. Know, it was incredible how it worked, you know. And, and you get to almost glorify your, your, the conversions that you've seen. And you're kind of putting little notches in your belt as you go. That's not how God wants that to be. We are not responsible for the results of sharing the gospel. God alone is responsible for that. I mean, aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that when you share the gospel, it's not up to you to convince that person or or to convert that person? That's God's work. See, our responsibility is just to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and take the message to others. And whether you do that through your personal testimony, whether you do that through inviting a neighbor over for dinner and, and simply maybe praying before the meal, and maybe they ask, oh, wow, we don't do that in our home. Well, let me tell you why we do that. Just have a nice little conversation with them. Or, you know, that's why we put track racks back there. We put track racks in the fellowship hall. Why? Because we want you to have a, a medium to take the word of God, the gospel, and, and share it with people. I mean, I talked to one believer and they said, oh yeah, I love those million dollar bills. Those are great. You know what I do? I leave them as the tip. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what a horrible thing to do. He goes, no, no, I leave other money too. I'm like, oh, okay, good. 
Because I've heard of people just leaving that. I mean, that's not a good testimony if you're one of those people that do that. You know, maybe leave a 10 plus the million dollar bill that has the gospel message on it. That's a good thing. Um, but we want you to take these resources and, and take them out to a lost and dying world, whether it's the person at the grocery store, whether it's the person at the coffee shop. Because that's what we're called to do. Maybe you can't explain the gospel. Maybe you're not good at, at, at conversation. Maybe you're just really, really shy. Well, you know what? Take that person to someone who can explain the gospel to them. Bring them here so they can hear the word of God taught. Bring them on a Wednesday night if they don't feel comfortable coming to a church. Bring them to Wednesday night in the fellowship hall. Bring them to where the Bible is taught and Christian theology is explained without compromise. And then pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for those that you know who are not converted. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful. It's effective. Don't ever stop praying for those who have yet to be saved. C.H. Spurgeon said this. He said, the idea that God predestines... And that man is responsible are two things that few can see. They are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they are not. It is just the fault of our weak judgment. And he goes on to say in that, in that uh, article that he wrote that these two truths will one day be welded into one in all of eternity. When we'll see that they both flow from God's throne. See, if people are saved, beloved, it's because of God's sovereign grace. If people are going to be saved, it's because of God's sovereign grace. It has really not a whole lot to do with you. You're the one that takes the message to them, hopefully. But you're not the one that saves them. If they're saved, it's because of God's sovereign grace. But if they're lost, it's because of the hardness of their disobedient hearts. That's what scripture teaches. And you have to be okay with that. Someone said there's no conversions in a vacuum. People don't get converted in a vacuum. And this kind of plays into some of the things we hear today. You know, we hear all these stories of, of certain individuals. A lot of them from the Muslim faith. And it says they're just out doing their own thing. And all of a sudden, boom. Whatever. They see a vision or they... You know, I, I have a little problem with that. And then all of a sudden they're converted. Did they ever hear the word of God? No. Did they ever hear any preaching? No. Did, did anybody ever share anything? No. I mean, could God do that? I, I mean, I don't want to put God in a box. But all I can tell you is that's not the prescribed method that he uses that he's written out for us in his word. John Murray said this, the main point is that the saving relation to Christ involved in calling upon his name is not something that can occur in a vacuum. It occurs only in, the con- in a, context, a context created by proclaiming the gospel on those commissioned to proclaim it. So, to our text, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, Some manuscripts there read God instead of Christ. It should be Christ. It's it's better translated that way. Um, Now, you might look at this verse and go, well, this is kind of weird. It's it's just kind of like he slipped this in here real quick. Um, It's really, some say it's kind of a a summary of, of everything that he's just said in this chapter. Because in chapter 11, he moves on to Israel's unbelief. 
Um, that word hearing there is the same Greek word translated in verse 15 that we read report. And how are we to preach unless, uh, uh, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are those, the feet of those who preach the good news. And so it's, it, in verse 14 it says, How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him they have never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? It has the idea of hearing a report. It can refer to the act of hearing. But Paul's point here is that people can't believe in something they never heard. That's why he left us here. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we believe that the gospel needs to go to the whole world. So faith comes from hearing the gospel preached. And as I just said, not all who hear the gospel preached will respond in faith. Have you ever asked yourself why do some hear and believe and while others reject the message altogether? John eight forty three, Jesus asked these hostile Jews, Jewish listeners, he said, why do you not understand what I am saying? He asks a question, but it's almost rhetorical because he gives the answer. It is because you cannot hear my word. They heard the sound of Jesus' voice. They heard his words, but they were incapable of hearing in the sense of understanding and obeying Jesus' words. And if you look at that text in John 8, he goes on and he says, the reason is because you're not... You're, you're because of, of the father. Your father is the devil, is what he says. And Jesus explained in chapter five, verse twenty-five. He says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live." Or over in Acts chapter sixteen, verse fourteen, Paul explains. As he spoke the gospel to the the Jewish women who gathered there at the river of Philippi, he says, The Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. See, the difference between those Jews in, in John 8 and the women here, Lydia, was that the Lord opened her heart. That's the difference. Jesus speaks life-giving words, and the spiritually dead come to life. Paul speaks the gospel, and the Lord opens hearts to respond. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I want you to understand this morning that it's, it's so important because we, we have certain things that are necessities of our belief. There's certain things that kind of have to come together for those who are saved. And I just want to run through these quickly. The first necessity is calling on Christ. See, it's not enough for you to sit here and hear somebody teach the Bible. That's not going to make you a Christian. As important as that is, that's not going to make you a Christian. It's not enough for you to understand and study theology. 
It's not enough for you to be a student of the Bible. I mean, those are all good things, don't get me wrong. But they alone will not make you a believer. They alone will not make you a Christian. They alone will not forgive you of your sins. See, to be a Christian, you have to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And say, Lord Jesus, you know what? I confess that I'm a sinner. I need help. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. And I want to call upon you to save me from my sin. Help me. It's a cry of help. It's a cry of desperation. See, if you do that, that's a prayer that God will hear. That's a a prayer that God will answer. That's a prayer that will save you. But intellectual belief is not enough. You have to commit yourself to Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior to be saved. You have to give up control and yield control to him. That's always a point that... That people have a hard time at. And anybody has a hard, hard time giving up control of anything, usually. People like to be in control of things. But when it comes to spiritual things, you have to understand that you're not in control. You're deceived if you actually think you're in control. You're not. The Bible says that God is in control. So if you know somebody's in control... You go to work and you know that your boss is over you and what he says goes. What are you going to do? You're probably going to obey your boss or you'll end up losing your job. Why? Because you understand that that's that's his authority. That's the authority he has over you. You don't have the option to go into work one day and say, well, you know what? Today, I don't think I'm going to listen to him. (laughs) No, I don't think so. You know, there's a commercial... The guys around a board, big board, I can't remember what the commercial was about, but they're all around a boardroom and they're all signing on to this guy's presentation about what a wonderful idea it is. And it, the, the camera kind of focuses it on one guy and he goes, I think the idea stinks. <laughs> you know, like whatever. And all of a sudden you see him packing up his stuff and he's walking out. <laughs> and I can't remember what the commercial was about, but I'm just thinking, you know, that's, that's very real. You know, you, you, you're called to submit to those in authority over us. I mean, how powerful do we think we are then when we say, you know what, I'm going to submit to these things, I'll submit to my boss, but I'm not going to submit to God. Whoa! I mean, think of that for a second. The second necessity is believing in Christ, calling on Christ, believing in Christ. You have to believe in Him. You have to call upon Him. It's not just having intellectual knowledge about Christ. There must be a personal trust, a commitment to him as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't mean that the other part, the intellectual part, is unimportant. It is. It's essential. I mean, how are you going to call upon somebody that you don't know anything about? How can you ask Jesus to save you from your sin unless you understand that he is the Savior and that you are a sinner? But intellectual understanding without commitment is not true faith. But neither is commitment without intellectual understanding. See, true faith brings those two together. If you must believe on Jesus in order to call upon him, then your mind has to be engaged in knowing who he is and what he's done for you. I read this illustration about Ray Stedman. And he was... uh, pastor down there at Peninsula Bible Church 
And he actually knew Harry Ironside, who was a wonderful preacher. He was the pastor of Moody uh, Church in Chicago for years. But he, in this illustration, he says this. He, he remembers Ironside describing a visit to Chicago by a flamboyant evangelist. The guy's name was Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith got his name because he really did have a gypsy background. And he told many fascinating stories about growing up in the gypsy camps across the nation. And on this occasion, the message was made up almost entirely of these stories. And at the end of the meeting, Gypsy Smith gave an altar call. Hundreds of people flowed down to the altar. Hundreds of them. And Ironside used to say that he wondered what they were coming forward for. Why were they coming forward? He said, perhaps they wanted to become gypsies. (laughs) See, the point is a good one. Um, The one thing that sets our faith, Christianity, apart from any other world religion is that it deals with objective truth and the facts of history. See, unless the facts are proclaimed, the message is not Christianity. Unless the facts are understood and believed, the faith that follows is not true faith, regardless of the intensity. The third necessity, calling on Christ, believing in Christ. Thirdly, hearing Christ. The third of Paul's statements here is that we have to hear Christ You know, you look at that verse, verse 17. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. Um, The New International Version is mistaken when it adds the word of there. Um, It reads, believing in one of whom they have not heard. Um, You know, what it actually says is believe in the one whom they have not heard. The point is that that Christ himself is the one who speaks to the individual. See, it's, it's, it's the message of Christ, but the message of Christ comes through individuals. Turn over to John chapter 10. And I just want to show this to you real quick because it, it's, it's kind of important to understand this because it puts the importance on preaching what we believe to be the medium which God shares the gospel truth with people. The point is that Christ himself is speaking. He's not just somebody else speaking words about Jesus. No, it's Christ speaking through that individual. Look at what John chapter 10 says here. Look at verse uh, Verse 1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheephole by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. robber. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. This is Jesus speaking here. The sheep hear his voice. Notice they hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all Out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then jump down to uh, verse 14. 
He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my sheep for, or I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I receive from my Father. Now, there was those who basically said that, you know, he was demon-possessed and all these other things. But the point here that I want you to see there is that they had to listen to his voice. Um, you know, this isn't a, a, a subjective thing. You know, you hear this a lot of times. People will say, yeah, you know, God just said this to my heart. And I'm always like, hmm. So you heard the voice of God? What do you mean by that? That always intrigues me. Um, And a lot of times it's something totally unrelated to anything having to do with Scripture. Or sometimes, I've even been in counseling sessions dealing with a couple years ago in another church. And the man of the house, he said, well, you know, we've heard the voice of God. And I said, well, what did the voice of God? Well, the voice of God told us that we need to get divorced. I said, I don't know what voice you're hearing, but that is not the voice of God. But they were thoroughly convinced it was. See, you know, this is our filter. Am I not saying that, you know, God can impress you and things like that? I'm not saying that because... He does. The power of the Holy Spirit lives within us. He can, he can lead us and guide us as he does. But I also want us to be careful that we just don't throw out, you know, hey, well, God told me this, God told me that, or the Holy Spirit said this to me. Be careful with that. Because if what you're saying doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's not God and it's not the Holy Spirit. We, we just have to be careful about that. And the reason I bring this up is here... This has to do with Bible truths and with the facts of Bible history. And Paul here is, back to Romans, he's stressing this intellectual content. He's saying, you know what? You need to hear something. And he's saying you need to hear the message of Christ. And even though God speaks personally and individually to the one he's calling to faith, he does not do that apart from the truth of Scripture. He speaks to us not by leading us away from Scripture, but he speaks to us by leading us to Scripture, by speaking through Scripture. And he says here that basically it's the preaching of God's word. Um, this means the word of Christ is, is not whatever you choose it to be. Rather, the word of Christ is the content of the Christian doctrine that has been entrusted to us. Morris says this, the point is that Christ is present in the preachers. To hear them is to hear him. See, when someone stands behind this podium and they open up the word of God and they're, they're preaching a message from God's word, they're speaking on Christ's behalf. I mean, if God himself were here, how would we 
maybe prepare ourselves a little different for Sunday morning. If I said, hey, you know what? Next week, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be preaching Jesus is. He's going to be here. Think you'd be a little excited? Think maybe, you know, Saturday night, maybe you'd prepare your heart a little better for Sunday morning. I mean, knowing that the Savior is going to be here preaching. You might. You might not stay up as late because you know it's going to be hard the next morning. You might prepare your heart and, and, and really pray about, God, what do you want me to hear from this message from the Lord this morning? It's no different than anyone else standing up here. If they're being faithful to the text and they're teaching the word of God, you're hearing the words of Christ. And Jesus taught this too in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. He sent these 72 disciples ahead of him to preach in his name and prepare people for his coming. And here's what he said to them in Luke 10, 16. He says, he who listens to you listens to me. This is Jesus speaking. He's telling his disciples, he who listens to you listens to me. And he who rejects you rejects me. See, it it kind of plays off the idea that we're not called to be responsible for the results of sharing our faith. We're, we, don't, we don't have to worry about, you know what, we just bring the, the, the food to the table. If people don't eat it, that's their problem. And this kind of takes it a step further. If people listen to you, it's not because of your wisdom. It's not because of, oh, your intellect and your ability to, to converse with people that, you know, that's just amazing how, you know, boy, you lead all these people to Jesus. No. They're listening to to Christ through you. And if they reject you, on the other hand, realize they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the truth that you're you're sharing with them. They're rejecting the God that you represent. See, when anybody stands up to teach the Bible, if they do it rightly, it is not my word that comes out of my mouth. It's the word of God. You hear the word of God through God. A servant, whoever that may be. And sometimes you don't hear, you don't like what you hear. But sometimes that's what's in the, the word. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes it's not easy to share what's in the word. Because you know it could be offensive or it may rub people the wrong way. As I've said many times, we're, we're just the waiter. We bring the food to the table. I don't, I don't dabble in the, the recipe. Well, the fourth necessity here is preaching Christ. And he says here basically that, you know what, th- this is why we send out missionaries. This is why we do all these things. Because someone must proclaim Christ to those who are lost. When you go back to this time when it was written... You know, it says there that in verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. You know, that was the, it doesn't say faith comes from reading. It doesn't say that. Could you get saved by reading something? Sure you could. Read the word, read a, read a Bible, read a track. But why does it say faith comes from hearing? Because that was the, the way that they communicated back then. Literacy wasn't that great back then. And so a lot of people, a lot of the stories, a lot of the things that people told, communication was through verbal communication. And it's, it's important that we, we understand that today we live in a whole different society. We live in a whole different world. 
But in the end, that text is still true. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Today's preaching is not valued equally with the word. But it is thorough preaching that the word is most regularly made known. And blessed by God to the saving of men and women. J.I. Packard said this, A true sermon is an act of God, and not a mere performance by men. In preaching, in real preaching, the speaker is the servant of the word, and speaks and works by the word through his servants. And God speaks and works by the word through his servants' lips. The sermon is God's ordained means of speaking and working, The divine commission to ministers is a commission to preach and teach. And the accompanying promise is that if they preach the word faithfully, they will not preach in vain. And then, fifth necessity is that these people are sent. That someone's sending these folks. Well, as we close, I just want to ask this question. What are we supposed to hear? It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Well, first of all, hearing what? The first thing is you hear the gospel. You hear the gospel. It's kind of an obvious answer. But it's the biblical message of salvation from sin through the work of Christ. That's what people need to hear. They don't need to hear a message that tells them how to make a better family or have a happy life or increase their income or do better at work. That's not a message that's going to save them. And this is what Paul has been writing about in verses 14 and 15. He says, for people to call on Christ for salvation, they must first believe in Christ. For them to believe in Christ, they must first hear about Christ. And for them to hear about Christ, someone must be sent to preach Christ. All that ties together. And so we teach, we preach the gospel. And ultimately, that ends in our glorification. As we studied in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 30. That's why it's called the good news. So we share the gospel, but we also have to share Christ himself. And, and this kind of goes to the, 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 the understanding of the text. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And this is kind of a technical point, but a lot of people believe this is an objective genitive, meaning that the word is the word about Christ, or that somehow he is in the content of the message that's being conveyed. Obviously, that's true, but several commentators say, you know what, they don't believe it's an objective genitive there. They believe it's actually a subjective genitive. Well, what does that mean? It means the phrase, through the word of Christ, is actually Uh, subjective genitive, which means that Jesus is understood to be speaking the gospel message or the word. Basically, the point I just said, that when someone stands up and preaches the word of Christ, it's as if he was here preaching himself. Well, how do we apply this? How do we apply this? Matthew chapter 9 Jesus says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. 
See, this is why we have missions. This is why we support missionaries. This is why we believe in tracts and, and outreach. It's a recognition that God must call on individuals and send them. Ask this question, when God calls, will we be prepared to send them? Will we, we be prepared to go? Will we be prepared to give our money, our, our resources, our time, our prayers, to help make the gospel of salvation widely known? I pray that we are. I pray that we do. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And please understand, this isn't just for the preacher. This isn't just for the person who is up here speaking. This is for every believer. We're all called to preach in some degree, some one, one way or another. If you're a preacher, a Bible teacher, or even a small class leader, a Sunday school leader, don't be distracted that your primary calling is to teach, to preach the Word of God. I was blessed when I went to, I went to church over there, and um, after they have Sunday school between their two services, and so I went to the youth group. My grandkids go there, so I thought, well, I'll go, and Will and Crystal help out in the youth group. So she said, well, why don't you come to the, don't go to the adult Sunday school, come and see what we do. I said, sure. So I went in, and had about 20 kids there, junior high, high school age, and they all came in and sat down. They had praise and worship, very meaningful. And then um, somebody got up, had a podium, they opened up the Bible, and they said, okay, we're in John chapter whatever. And it was kind of like, you're sitting here. And here you had these teenagers, you had preteens sitting there with their Bibles open, taking notes. I'm just going, wow, this is a real blessing. It's no fun and games. It was no, you know, crazy stuff going on. The youth pastor, they do that on Friday night when their youth group meets. But, but on Sunday morning, it's basically teaching the Word of God to these kids. And they're very respectful, and, and it's just amazing that they haven't got sidetracked. Third thing here, Matthew chapter 28 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, look at what it says, to obey everything I've commanded to you. See, that goes to us too. We need to be obedient to the call of, of Christ. That's the Great Commission. These are, are, are words of the Great Commission. They're for all Christians. Not all Christians are going to be teachers or preachers or whatever, but we should all be agents of God's great commission. Be praying when God gives you opportunity to speak on his behalf that you say what would honor and glorify him. And then the fourth thing, 2 Corinthians, we'll close with this, chapter 6, verse 2. Paul says this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You know, we're living in a day and an age where a lot of stuff is going on. And I think we're a lot closer than we were <laughs> 10 years ago, to the, obviously, to the coming of the Lord. But you know what? There's still billions of people who have never heard the message of the gospel. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're here today and God is showing you 
you need to be saved. What you need to do right now is to turn to God with your sin and call upon the name of Christ. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to set you free from the bondage that has held you for so long. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that as we understand that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Um, If we're believers here today, I pray that we would understand that it's our task to take this message out of these four walls to everyone we know. There's not one believer here that just came to Christ on a whim, all by themselves, without anybody sharing anything with them, never read a Bible verse, never, they just woke up and while they were a born again Christian. No, it doesn't happen that way. So we need to understand our task, that faith comes from hearing the message, and we're to bring that message to the lost. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you have yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, um, how do people become believers? It's by hearing this message. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaks to your heart through someone preaching the word of God and calls you to faith. Don't ever take that for granted. Cherish that. Listen to it. Open your your heart to the words that are being taught. One commentator says this, If you will open your heart right now and willingly pay attention to the good news that God has nothing against you, that he loves you, and that he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for you, that Christ did die for you personally and that he was buried and God raised him from the dead on the third day as a guarantee of your salvation. If you open your heart to that truth, you will find faith coming to you because faith comes from hearing the word of Christ.